If you've got a a Bible with you, um, either a physical one or on your phone, um, do you want to turn to James chapter 5? And I'm going to read from verse 13 to the end of the book. It's quite a complex passage. um, Lots in it, lots to look through. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any among you ill? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. Bit dense, isn't it? A lot in there. Right, let's pray, and then we'll launch ourselves into these words. Lord, again, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it speaks your instruction into our hearts. And we just pray that as we see what James has to say in conclusion of this amazing letter, we pray that we will not only be hearers, but where there are things that we need to do today, where there are things that perhaps we've been skirting around in our lives, we just pray that we will act on your word. We won't just be hearers, but we will be doers. So Holy Spirit, we invite you into our midst to unpack your word to us this morning. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We all respond, as we've already said this morning, to different things in different ways. There are five people on the screen there. They will cause a different emotional reaction in each of you. Um, Zelensky, you might think, courageous leader. Somebody who's, who's gone through the mill, Boris. I'll leave that to, between you and God as to what you think in that instance. The Queen, you may think, you know, dedicated, long-serving, you know, woman of faithfulness to God. Paddington, you just might think, well, he's really cute, and um, whatever else. Harry Maguire, depends on which team you support, I suppose, with football and those kind of things. But we have reaction to things, don't we? We all have different reaction. And our reaction is going to be different to different people. And it's going to be different in different situations. And we might be different to ourselves one day and then be different the next. Well, as we go into our final excursion into the letter of James, really, I want to think about our reaction and our response to situations that face us, to things that happen to each of us in our everyday lives. We've already looked at what these different things will be. Um, Just very quickly, if you've got the Bible in front of you, it'd be helpful to keep it open, actually. Verse 13, if we're in trouble, we should pray. Now, that sounds very obvious, doesn't it? But sometimes, I don't know if you find it, that if you're in trouble, you don't pray, you run away from God. And actually, sometimes we can say, well, I'm not going to go to church because things are too tough. I don't want to meet with other Christians because actually I'm going through it at the moment. And what James says is, no, that's not the right way of dealing with trouble. When you're suffering, when there's trouble, you go towards God, not away from him. You come into the fellowship of believers, you don't escape from them. Second thing he talks about, again in verse 13, if you're happy, direct it towards God. 
Don't just have a celebratory party on your own, but think, how can this be turned into praise? And sing songs of praise. I suppose there's a bit of context there, depending on where you are, whether it's appropriate to burst out into song. But it's that kind of heart song. You know, sing a new song to the Lord. Burst out in praise somewhere for the goodness of God. Verse 14 to 15, we then have a much more detailed instruction to pray for the sick, and we'll unpack that in detail. And the same in verse 16, the encouragement for a person who has sinned to confess. So we get this question in verse 13. If any one of you is sick. Now, James, it's sort of a question, isn't it? Is any one of you sick? Now, I don't know what the answer is in your own life at the moment, but certainly the answer in our church life, and it always is the answer, is yes. There is always going to be somebody suffering from some ailment. If you're in a group of probably more than three or four people, there is always going to be somebody who is poorly. So what do we have as Christians to say about sickness? Where does sickness fit in God's economy? Where does it fit into our understanding of the world, what has gone wrong, what will be put right, and what are we expecting to happen now? Well, sickness is never God's ultimate plan for human beings. You know, Chris was talking about this last week, saying that in Genesis 1, God creates a perfect world, but it then all quickly unravels, it falls apart because of sin. We live with the fall, we live with brokenness, that brings disease amongst us, we all suffer, we will all die. You can count on one hand the number of people in scripture who didn't die, you know, we are unlikely to be among them. We will die at some point. But then there is the glorious hope of Revelation 21, that one day, everything will be put right again. That because of Jesus' death and resurrection, sin and all the stuff that causes death will be dealt with, and there'll be a final victory, and sin and tears and suffering and sadness will all be gone, as we are in the presence of God forever in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, James, he doesn't deal with that big picture view actually here. He doesn't offer us some great big theology of suffering and um, sickness and how we deal with it. But rather, he gets right down to what do you do when one of you is poorly? What is the practice that the church should be involved with? And here, what we have is what some people describe as a prayer litany, a prayer liturgy, or just a prayer practice. It's basically a list of instructions of things to do when somebody is poorly. Now, this is not the only way that the New Testament talks about healing. You know, when you see Jesus heal, Jesus does all kinds of things, doesn't he? He goes and sometimes he heals people from a distance, sometimes he lays hands on them, sometimes he rubs soil into their eyes, all kinds of different ways. And the apostles follow that same way. They pray for people in different ways. We then get people in the church who are given by the gift, by the Holy Spirit, gifts of healing. People who have that gift of particularly praying for other people to be made better. And I don't believe that is a gift that is gone. I think it's a gift that still continues, as all the gifts do. But what this does here, this little prayer litany, it brings the extraordinary into the ordinary. So it brings the healing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ into the setting of every church family. And it's a a thing that any of us can do. Any church family that has leadership can actually be involved in what happens here. Now, There's a bit of a problem with the NIV. I don't often go into Bible translations, but we do need to note this here. Because the NIV translation twists it a little bit and makes it look like every time you pray, you get better. That's not what the Greek says. Sorry, if you're a Greek scholar this morning, you will find this interesting. If not, just try and glaze over for a moment. This is the literal translation. Rather than talking about everybody sort of being made well, it says, we'll deliver the sick one and raise him up. You see how that's different in meaning? 
Deliverance and being raised up are different from our markers of what is well and what is poorly. And so we have to, I believe, bring that into our understanding of this passage. You see, if every time we prayed we got better, there'd be no death. We would just go on living and living and living and living. That's the logical conclusion. But we know there is death, so we know that not everything we pray for is healed in that kind of way. To add on to that, think about our society at the moment. You know, we live with a very uneasy relationship with sickness and illness. Some things we talk about, other things we don't. I I have this theory that there are respectable illnesses, that if you talk about them, it's perfectly socially acceptable to have a conversation. You'll get bored of me talking about appendicitis. But I can talk about having an appendectomy with anybody and everybody without the slightest bit of embarrassment because it's not anything to do with my fault. There's nothing I could have done to prevent it. It's not embarrassing. It doesn't involve, you know, sort of intimate parts of the body. It's just something that has gone wrong. And I can talk about it. I remember being at school. You might remember this as well. Or if you're still at school, you might still see this. I don't know. When somebody breaks a leg in a sporting injury and they get this great big cast on their leg, it's seen as a trophy, not as a problem. And everybody writes the name on it and writes these long messages on it. And by the time you have the cast off, you're thinking, I don't really want that off. I quite like having this. And sometimes there are things that we can deal with very respectably and we can bring them into the open. Broken bones seems to be one of those things. It's a respectable illness. There are those then more personal illnesses that perhaps I wouldn't even talk about from the front of church. We wouldn't talk about them. There are those kind of illnesses that then just breed fear into the heart of human beings. If I mentioned the word cancer mentioned the word heart disease, it brings fear. We, we, we know that these can have risk of mortality. And then when we start talking about mental health, we're not even sure how we talk about it. We haven't even got the language right, I don't think, as a society. And sometimes I think as church, we've got a lot that we could actually lead in terms of being open and honest about how we talk about illness. So how does this passage then speak into this contemporary sort of world that we live in? Well, I think the first thing it does, which is really important, is it says sickness needs not be suffered in isolation. There's a saying, isn't there? A problem shared is a problem. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that fraction, but I do agree with the sentiment behind that saying. You know, when you share a problem with somebody else, it does help. It really does help. It helps somebody knowing that somebody is carrying that problem with you. It just alleviates the burden. Now, I promise, and I really do promise, this is my last appendectomy story. But before I went into the the ward um, to then be taken in for surgery, I spent nine and a half hours in A&E, sat in a plastic chair going back and to having various tests. And as you can imagine, when you're in excruciating um, pain, being on a plastic chair is, is not the best thing, really. Now, I got some lovely messages from people in church and things saying, we're praying for you, you know, we're praying that you get seen too quickly and this kind of thing. But there is one person, and they're a member of the church here, and I won't embarrass them by naming them, but they kept me going with a series of most ridiculous text messages um, because they get my sense of humor. And it just kept my spirits lifted, and it kept me going. And it was the one thing in that nine and a half hours, knowing that somebody was there who got me and was saying, blah, 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 and I was responding, and it just distracted me. Was I healed by what happened? No, that was the surgery that healed me. Was I lifted up by the ministering of the body? Absolutely. Did it carry me through? Well, it helped. It certainly, certainly helped. So, we need one another. We need one another. Now, I think that is a really important thing. Sickness need not be dealt with alone. There are ways of bringing it into the body of the church. 
So here we have this little prayer liturgy or litany, whatever you want to call it. And in this version of praying for one another, it's not done in show, it's not for everybody to see, but it's done at the instigation of the sick person who invites the leaders of the church, the elders of the church, to come and pray for them and anoint them with oil. Now, the anointing of oil, that's a very significant thing because what it does is it goes right back through the Old Testament and it's symbolizing God's anointing, God's presence being with a person. So you can imagine the setting, you can imagine a sick person in in the early church, the leaders go around to their home, they perhaps lay hands on them, they anoint them with oil and they pray in the name of the Lord. And they pray in faith that God will be at work. Now, here's a bit of a challenge for us. We do many things that the Bible says, many things that we're told to do as church. We preach, we sing, we pray together, we take communion together. This is not a suggestion, this is an instruction. Do we do this regularly enough? Do we actually pray for one another in this kind of way, that the Lord would minister to one another in this kind of way? Or is it one of these instructions that we think, that sounds a bit uncomfortable and awkward. I'd rather just pray by myself or I'd rather just keep it hidden. Or do we actually do what the Bible says? Now, we do do it. I prayed with people and anointed them with oil in this room. But we don't do it as regularly as perhaps we should do. You think about how many illnesses we have in our church, how many illnesses perhaps we suffer. How many of those have we actually brought into God's people and said, can I be prayed with? Can you anoint me? Can you ask for God's intervention in some way? So why don't we do that? Why don't we do that? Well, I want to suggest a couple of things. One is that perhaps we're we're just afraid that God will disappoint us. Perhaps we think, well, what will happen if I pray and nothing seems to happen? You know, if I've got this particular illness and I don't get better, what will happen? Or perhaps we think, well, what will happen to this illness? I just don't, it doesn't feel worthy to be prayed for. You know, it doesn't feel like, I don't want to trouble people coming around to see me and anointing me with oil. This just seems so trivial. Or perhaps there's just that, you know, I'm quite happy to be prayed with for a dis- or from a distance, thank you. You know, I don't want anybody coming near me. I'm praying for this particular thing. Now, praying from a distance is great. You know, prayer chain, wonderful. It's great that we have that. But this is an instruction in God's word. This is not a suggestion. And then, to make matters more complicated, if you've got a Bible in front of you, look at verse 15. If anyone has sinned, he will be forgiven. What on earth is, go- is going on here? What on earth is James talking about? Well, if you were here last week, Chris was referring to John chapter 9, where Jesus is asked about a person who is, who is um, needing of healing. And people are saying, well, do they need healing because they have sinned or their family has sinned? And Jesus says, no. It's so that God may be glorified. So what's going on here? What do we make of James's comment? Well, reading the scriptures, you know, all illness is ultimately as a result of the fall. It's as a result of the brokenness of um, the world that we live in, our sin, our rebellion. But it's shared. It's not specific. So if I become ill, I can't say, well, it's because I did this wrong here. I become ill, it's not because I did this. Now, there are exceptions to this, and I will give you a couple of illustrations, and I will egg it a little bit so you get the point. You know, if I decide really not to look after myself, and I just sit down indefinitely watching the TV, and I gorge myself every evening on hot dogs, chocolate, and full-fat Coke, I will make myself ill. I will make myself ill. I will get scurvy, amongst other things, and, you know, within a few weeks, I will be an absolute wreck. If I drink excessively, I'm going to start storing up problems for my own health. And so there are times when behavior can cause illness, and I think that is accepted across society. 
But there are times when actually it can go too far and we can start pointing the finger at ourselves and become guilt, guilty. Um, Femi Perkins, she is a, a sort of specialist in New, in New Testament. She says this, in our health-conscious culture, many people feel that illness is a fault. If they get sick, it proves that they did not eat right, take the right herb, exercise properly, or whatever. Now, what do we make of that? What do we make of James's words? Well, I believe it's actually that God cares about absolutely everything about us. Rather than start looking for, for how this links in with particular activity, just think, well, actually, if I'm coming and I'm sick, and I'm feeling guilty in whatever way about being sick, whatever the situation, whether it's valid or not, God has it all. He has it all. He cares about it all. And whether it's forgiveness that we need, whether it's some kind of shalom, and we'll come on to that in a moment, the peace of God in our lives, God has it all. Don't stop making yourself feel guilty. Don't draw these lines that don't need to be there. But God has dealt with it. It's all dealt with. So what happens when we pray? What happens? Well, I fully believe that when we pray, God works. God is doing something. Now, my belief is that God can and does perform amazing miracles. He's done it in the past. He continues to do it in the present. And until the Lord Jesus returns, he will continue to do it in the future. I believe that for three reasons. The first one is, is what Jesus did. And Jesus said, you will do greater things than I. The apostles carried on doing it. The church history is littered with stories of healings. If you read the books that were written after the New Testament, I won't bore you with a load of quotes, but books like the Didache, the Shepherd of Hermas, the Letters of Clement, I won't bore you with any more. Um, they're all full of stories of healings, healings that happened in those centuries after Jesus had ascended into heaven. The third reason I believe it is because I've experienced it. I've been prayed with and been healed, and I've seen other people experience it too. God does work in miracles, and we have to be open to that as Christians. I fully believe that. We need to have open hearts and minds that God may want to perform a miracle in our lives. And if somebody says, will you pray with me for healing? I always say yes, and I will pray for whatever type of healing you want to request of the Lord. But, and there has to be a but or a however, we are always praying within the will of God. We have to pray within the will of God. And we have to accept that it's not always God's will to bring about a healing from a particular illness. But that does not mean that God is not at work. You know, we shouldn't be scared about God's will. Sometimes I think we fear the will of God, and that's why we don't get prayed for. Because we think, well, what will I do if I don't get healed? But actually, God is kind. God is merciful. You know, God loves us. If the healing we need is not physical, but something else, let's be open to that. Let's be open to whatever it is that God would bring. When we pray, God will lift us up. That is what this passage says. And it's often in unexpected and incredible ways. Now, James is a, a very Jewish writer. He writes a lot about the law. He talks in Old Testament language. And I just wonder whether there's something in um, this being raised up and lifted up about this Old Testament word, shalom. That's the Hebrew um, there of the Old Testament word. I got 8% in a Hebrew exam once. That wasn't my greatest achievement. But shalom is it's a beautiful word. It's a word that, that means completeness. It means well-being. Um, one writer calls it this. It's the way things are meant to be. It's a foretaste of everything that will come when Christ becomes all in all. It's the peace of God resting deep inside of us. And I don't know about you, but I've experienced times when I've not been healed physically, but God has poured a sense of shalom into my heart. 
and I've been able to journey through. And I've needed other people to do that, but I've been able to journey through whatever trouble I'm going through. And so James's prayer and promise takes us on a journey. It's a journey of God ministering to us, of lifting us up. And it may mean just that, the shalom being poured into our life. But just to give a few possible scenarios of, I suppose, my experience of how I've seen this worked out, is that we will all get to a point where our life will near, be near to its end. Perhaps praying and anointing somebody with oil at that point is a simple prayer to pass into eternity with grace, with peace, and with hope. That sense of God's shalom. For a person preparing for an operation, it may be that that prayer is for the skills of the surgeon. It may be that that prayer is that the medication will work. It may be that that prayer is during that whole process, God's peace will be poured out and that healing will be brought through the skills that God has given other people. It might be if we're coming for prayer and actually we're praying for, for, for our own mental health or whatever it might be, that that prayer, that shalom of God is to seek the help that we actually need. It might be that it's, it's actually to, to go after the support that we need. There are loads of maybes, loads of possibilities. But I think what James is certain about, when we pray, when we're obedient, God works. God works as he will, and he can work in all kinds of different ways. So I think the question for us is, will we share some of our darkest moments? Will we bring them into the light of God's presence? Or will we keep them hidden away? Now, James uses this example of, you know, being prayed for by the leaders of the church. If ever you want to be prayed for in this way, we are always open to this as a leadership team. Come and speak to one of us. We would love to pray with you. But perhaps it's your small group that is the more appropriate place for doing that. You know, the early church was much smaller than we are. There were perhaps 15, 20 people gathered in somebody's house. And perhaps in your small group setting, you'd just like to request that they do that, or your prayer group leaders. I don't think James is being particular formulaic. It's just the sense of people who are committed to you, who love you, and who long to pray for you. So will we do this? I think this is the question. When we're sick, at our instigation, not being forced to do it, but will we seek to be obedient to God's word? Second thing we move on to then is confession, verse 16. And there is an encouragement to confess sin. Now, when we talk about confession, perhaps our minds are taken to some parts of the church where this is very formalized, and you go into a little box, and there's a priest sat at the other side, and you, you tell them your sins. Um, or perhaps we're, we're taken to um, some sort of other church traditions where every Sunday, a prayer of confession that is kind of general thing, but without a naming of the individual sins that we've committed um, said... Or perhaps we think of our own tradition where we largely ignore this and don't talk about confessing sins hardly at all. Um, we need to. We absolutely need to. Again, this is not a suggestion. This is something James says we should do. Therefore, confess your sins. And confession brings a very different type of healing. It brings the inner healing, doesn't it? It's, it's applying what Jesus has done on the cross into our actual hearts and having the victory over sin. So what does this mean? Well, this is about sharing in confidence. This is about sharing with a fellow believer, and James doesn't say you have to do it in a particular way, but he just says do it, when, you're, when you've sinned, when you've fallen into sin. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes there are patterns that start forming in our lives, aren't there? And it may be that you've noticed in your life that there is a pattern of sin, and it might be supposing that you've, you've become very gossipy, or you've become very bitter or angry, whatever it might be. And you just can't shake it off. You've, you've repented before the Lord. You've said, God, I'm so sorry that I'm behaving like this. 
but it just won't clear off. It, it just keeps on going and going and going. Sometimes, to get victory over that particular sin, the best thing we can do is share it with somebody else. It takes a lot of guts to do that, an awful lot of courage, because we're immediately vulnerable. We're opening our heart to a fellow Christian. But it's one of those tools that I believe God has given us to give victory over sin. It's the gift of one another. But just two points on this. You know, again, we instigate confession. This is not a reason to go around looking at the behavior of other people and saying, you need to confess your sin to me. I see that you're sinning. This is not about that at all. It's not about judgment. It's about our own hearts and saying, actually, are there patterns that need addressing? And when we address it with somebody else, somebody we can trust, somebody who we know well, we then become accountable with that person. And we allow that person to speak into our lives and say, well, how's it going? Have, have you got victory in that area? Is God working that through with you? Is there anything else we need to do to help support you in that particular thing? And it works all the way around. Have we got the courage to follow James's instructions? Have we got the courage? It's, it's really courageous stuff. But actually, if we want to grow, if we want to have victory in our Christian lives, it's one of those things that I think God has given us as a great tool to achieve that victory. So we started this passage, and we said it was all about looking at responding to God. If we're in trouble, we pray. If we're happy, we can pray as well, but you can also sing praise. You know, show it, show the thankfulness to God. If we're suffering from sickness, as we all do, is it appropriate to do what James has said here, to get others to pray for you, to anoint you with oil, to seek God in that situation? And then when we sin, when things go wrong, when we've done things that are wrong and we know it, say sorry and tell someone. Get somebody else involved so that we can be all that God wants us to be. Now, I am not saying any of this is easy. If we take James at his word, as I believe we should, you know, this is God's word to us, a lot of this, perhaps the first two are a little bit easier, but the second two can be really hard. But if we want to be obedient to God, these are the kind of things that we need to be moving into. So I'm going to just leave you with a bit of a challenge. Is there anything I need to do today? Is there an illness that needs praying over, that you've been hiding away, that needs praying over? Is there a sin that has just got so deeply ingrained, it's not shifting, and you need to confess it with somebody you trust? Have you just given up on praising? Do you need to learn how to praise again? Or do you need to just bring your troubles before the Lord? I'm sure you've all got a phone on you. If you need to set yourself a reminder while we pray, get your phone out, set yourself a reminder. Otherwise, what will happen is we'll have an AGM, we'll have lunch together, you'll go home and you'll forgotten what you said you needed to do. So I'm going to pray. If we just spend a few moments in prayer and you want to make a note on your phone, I think that's a really good way of doing that. But let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, again, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for James who was inspired by your spirit to write all we've looked at this morning. And we realize that James is such a practical writer and he causes us to do things in our own lives that respond to you. And so, Lord, in any of these four areas today, we, we just pray that you would guide us, you, you would help us to think through what we need to do in response to your word. And Lord, as we've been thinking about um, sickness this morning, I want to, to lift Dorothy to you. Just want to, to pray for her as she's in hospital, Lord. We, we pray that she will continue to respond to the physio. We pray for your hand to be with her and upon her. 
And Lord, I want to pray, we've seen the prayer chain this, this morning about Beryl as well, Lord, we lift Beryl to you. And Lord, in these moments, these moments of deep uncertainty, we just pray, as we mentioned this morning, that your deep shalom will rest over Beryl, that she will know your peace, she will know the stillness of your touch. And perhaps just for anybody else you know that, that is poorly at the moment or, or any other um, situation, just a moment or two just to hold those in the presence of the Lord. Lord, we acknowledge your goodness, your kindness, your love this morning. We thank you that you just long to move in our lives in so many different ways. Lord, just give us in these moments just hearts that are open to you, to responding to your will and purposes for us. And if we have noticed something down on our phones today, we just pray this week, Lord, that we will apply your word directly into our situations. Lord, help us to respond to you.